What's the latest with labor and West Coast ports? Supply chain issues plague the chemical industry and fighting e-commerce fraud. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. I am Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer with nearly a century of experience designing forklifts and high-capacity materials handling equipment used in the world's most intense industries. Operations rely on Heister as a strong partner for everything from choosing the right mode of power source to their Edison award-winning operator assist solution, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, longshoremen still don't have a contract agreement with West Coast Ports, and last week they staged a temporary work stoppage. Is this a sign of more to come? Or should shippers trust their goods moving through these ports? To find out more, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thank you, Dave. Yeah, you described it well. We're talking about conditions at those West Coast container ports today. About a week ago, they had to shut down operations for a day or so at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. That was part of the long-running contract negotiations between the Pacific Maritime Association that's the group that represents ocean carriers and terminal operators, and the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, and that's the group that represents some 22,000 dock workers at nearly 30 ports across the region. Their current contract had expired in July of last year, almost a year ago, and nobody in logistics wants to see a repeat of what happened last time, which was a full labor strike and a shutdown of those ports back in 2015. But what are shippers supposed to do about all this? To discuss that, we have today's guest, who's Paul Brazier. He's vice president of drayage and intermodal for ITS Logistics. They are a third-party logistics provider based in Reno, Nevada. Welcome, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, that was a pretty quick introduction I did to a very complicated problem. Can you add a little more context so we understand the challenge? Yeah, the largest challenge uh, is the unknown. And with supply chain and even business, not knowing exactly what's going to happen is, is the largest wrinkle and, and headwind that, that not just ourselves as transportation providers, but the BCOs face as well. Many supply chains are put into motion uh, months, if not years, uh, in advance. And if there's not you know, a, a clear directive and, and fluidity in supply chain, these problems can be metastasized and, and magnified and cause even greater issues. If you think about what happened in, in 2020 during COVID when, when DC shut down due to uh, restrictions on, on labor, there were still four weeks of, of freight on the water uh, Trans-Pacific that were coming into the United States, and that backs up. So um, where we are right now not only has an immediate impact, but if it gets really, really uh, uh, problematic, it could be something that uh, lingers on for weeks, months, uh, multiple months into, into even 2024. That's something that we have to be 
uh, always vigilant on. Uh, boy, I'll say so. That's a that, that that's a, a striking potential over there. Uh, having said which, what we saw last week was just a brief work stoppage. It wasn't a full strike. Uh, so you mentioned that things are already in motion, of course, and that has been set up a long time ago. But what happens to those freight movements and the flow of goods uh, if, if the strike does happen? Well, one thing that we've seen a lot of over the last six to nine months, and and in some of our uh, clients as far back as, as early uh, 2022, was to divert bookings. That that way they're they're hedged. Uh, so a lot of freight is going into uh, Houston, you know, the, the East Coast, uh, primarily the Southeast, New York, New Jersey's getting some of this freight as well. Um, we're also seeing a lot of activity going through Vancouver and surprisingly enough, Mexico. So the, the only way that you can really navigate this is to make sure that you're avoiding all of the West Coast ports in the United States and push that cargo into to other areas. Now, one thing that, to think about here is if this is a shot across the bow and, and a beginning of some potentially con, uh, very contentious labor negotiations, you'll see shippers start booking in the spot market and start diverting freights to, to miss or, or stay away from this area and we could start seeing that materialize as soon as next month. Uh, it'll be interesting because most of the freight uh, that comes into the United States for you know Christmas and, and that retail peak season will start hitting in late Q2, early Q3. And this might be um, a, an opening salvo that forces the hands of BCOs to push more of that freight outside of the West Coast. Interesting. Boy, the peak season uh, is just never far from anybody's mind in this business. Uh, and, but it's fascinating stuff that you're talking about with, with rerouting some of those shipments. Um, I, I guess a couple of questions. Um, you know, of course, companies may need their goods to end up on the West Coast where they were sending them in the first place, not on the East Coast. So I guess that uh, that trigger extra costs if you have to truck it a longer way to get it there. Yeah, and the, the one silver lining that came from the last 18 to 24 months is that there was a lot of infrastructure already put in place uh, to handle situations like this and a lot of knowledge gained, not just in the BCO uh, realm, but also for transportation providers. For instance, ITS, uh, we had to retrofit and onboard significant capacity and asset support on the east coast to support our clients as they started moving into these markets uh, because their hand was forced so i don't believe that it'll be an additional cost one thing different uh compared to now as opposed to 18 to 24 months ago is that a lot of the infrastructure is already in place and freight rates are down significantly uh, your, your Trans-Pacific rates are down, way, way down uh, compared to where they were even a year ago. And trucking costs are down substantially as well. So instead of moving freight, let's say from west to east, like normally happens during the, uh, the, the retail peak season, the freight will move east to west. And if 
uh, IPI is needed. Uh, when those containers come into a terminal and they get put onto the rail, uh, you're just pulling them off west coast ramps as opposed to uh, ramps moving west to east. And that's one thing to make sure that people keep an eye on as well. You might be booking the Dallas uh, door to door, um, but if that's IPI uh, through LA Long Beach, that freight's not gonna move as well. So folks wanna make sure that they're uh, keeping an eye on where their freight's coming into the United States, even if it's getting booked to an inland rail ramp. Yeah, interesting stuff. So uh, another question that comes to mind about um, th this sort of rerouting practice, uh, and we've been tracking some of those rising numbers at the East Coast and the Gulf Coast uh, container facilities, but is there enough capacity at those ports uh, to handle all of the West Coast volumes if they had to? All would be uh, difficult. Um, I, I would say that, that that would be problematic. If we look at where we were a year ago and where we are today, as far as a demand and a container you know, density uh, on, on the East Coast and the Gulf, it, it's significantly down. Uh, I would say in some cases, in some markets, we're 40, 50, 60% down off of volumes that were coming in last year from what we're seeing. So our infrastructure and other uh, transportation providers' infrastructure is in place to handle additional flow. I don't think demand is there. Inventories in the U.S. are still significantly high. So the, the retail peak for inbound freight uh, is probably going to be muted due to the amount of inventory that a lot of folks are sitting on here in the United States. So we're not going to see a, a repeat of the volume spike that we saw post-COVID. Uh, there will be more freight coming into the U.S. Um, and the current infrastructure should be able to manage it, especially if the volumes are significantly lower, uh, you know, inflationary pressure, cost of goods, uh, the economy is uh, getting to a place towards the end of this year where it might start uh, you know, slipping into recession. So we might, if everything for some reason were to get diverted to the East Coast, be okay, unfortunately because of you know, negative uh, economic impact. Got it, great points. Uh, so just to wrap it up here, uh, during this this tenuous time, as you said at the very beginning, with all the unknowns, what should shippers be aware of uh, as, as they try to prepare or at least minimize that potential disruption? Well, the first thing is most shippers and BCOs are in RFP right now for trucking. They've pretty much settled all of their ocean contracts up, and now they are, are in the process of setting up uh, transportation. Uh, once those containers get to the U.S. So uh, th the first thing is make sure that you're onboarding new providers uh, for trucking and more importantly onboard providers that have a national footprint that are able to be malleable if your bookings and your uh, entry into North America need to change uh, very quickly. Uh, that runs counter to the current trucking market we're in right now where a lot of Companies are, are slimming down uh, trucking capacity, not uh, adding new carriers, and a lot of times cutting out providers uh, from their spend. To get ahead of that, you're going to want to get these people on board it now instead of uh, doing that at the last minute. That way you can get rates in place and, and probably protect yourself and your bottom line. 
The next thing is to understand your supply chain. Like I alluded to earlier in the conversation, if you have freight that you're booking to the ramp in the center of the United States, Chicago, Memphis, Atlanta, Dallas, et cetera, make sure that you understand where the entry point is uh, for those containers before it IPIs over to rail. Because in most cases, that's gonna be coming in through LA Long Beach. And you're gonna wanna start looking at seeing if you can get that to enter uh, in the Gulf and along the East Coast uh, to hit the ramps that you need in the center part of the country. Gotcha, gotcha. Good sound advice. Uh, we really appreciate your being here with us today, Paul. Thanks for joining the podcast. My pleasure. Y'all have a good uh, weekend out there. Our guest today has been Paul Brazier from ITS Logistics. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Paul and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote this week about how supply chain problems continue to plague the chemical industry. Can you share some details with us? Absolutely. Um, and this is uh, very much in line with uh, what Paul and Ben were just talking about. The supply chain challenges out there um, continue on many fronts. Um, this a uh, particular story, though, is about the American Chemistry Council, which released a member survey this week that emphasizes the lingering effects of those uh, delays and disruptions that we've been seeing the past few years. ACC represents a variety of chemical industry businesses, including manufacturers. Um, and this survey asked those members to gauge how recent supply chain challenges have affected their operations, both in the past year and compared to conditions prior to the pandemic. The majority of respondents, 93%, said that supply chain challenges are continuing to negatively affect their U.S. manufacturing operations, um, with 86% of them saying they had to modify those operations because of supply chain issues and or transportation disruptions um, that occurred in the second half of last year. So all of this is very recent. Um, it's important to note that the survey respondents said in general, supply chain challenges have moderated since the height of the pandemic, uh, but they they say conditions continue to be worse than they were um, before uh, 2020. So still a lot of issues out there. Victoria, did they cite any specifics? Or what are the, some of the major problems they're seeing? Yeah, the two things really stood out for me, and this is a pretty in-depth survey, but just to, uh, you know, to look at a couple of things, and that was a uh, lost business um, for these companies and higher transportation costs. In both the first and second half of 2022, about 36% of companies surveyed said that their customers canceled orders because they were concerned those orders would not arrive at all or that they'd not arrive on time. And more than half of the chemical manufacturers surveyed said that their transportation costs are up compared to the second half of last year. So those were a couple of things. The respondents also said that policy reforms are needed to fix what they call entrenched transportation industry problems. In particular, they're pushing for actions that will increase competition and establish minimum service standards in rail and for efforts to increase gross vehicle weight limits for interstate highways to help alleviate alleviate, excuse me, trucking capacity constraints. And there's there's a variety of um, uh, action or sort of happening on both of those fronts. Uh, so a lot to uh, consider. It certainly seems that there is a lot of work still to be done to alleviate a lot of the supply chain bottlenecks we've been experiencing the last couple of years. Absolutely. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, online fraud continues to be a problem plaguing the e-commerce retailers. And you wrote this week about how the world's biggest online retailer is looking at ways to address it. Can you share what you found? 
Yeah, this one was uh, kind of interesting because it, it's one of those problems that's largely invisible un, un, until it affects you. So we got information this week from Amazon, which of course runs one of the world's biggest e-commerce sites, that goes without saying. And this week they released their brand protection report, as they call it. In that report, Amazon said that during the past year, it had spent $1.2 billion and employed 15,000 people all to fight fraud in its online marketplace. So Amazon's making that big of an investment for two reasons. Uh, they said they need to maintain trust with customers, of course, that you'll receive an authentic product when you click that buy button, and also to maintain trust with vendors that they will be free from competition with what Amazon calls bad actors who might make cheap counterfeits and steal market share. So to prevent that, Amazon employs uh, people like machine learning scientists, software developers, and trained investigators. And the company says they're making progress, uh, that the number of attempts by what they call those bad actors to create new selling accounts has decreased uh, with 6 million attempts in 2020, uh, 800,000 in 2022 last year. They also said that the number of what they call notices of infringement that are submitted by brands, uh, that means basically retailers complaining about competitive fakes, decreased by some 35% since 2021. Uh, and in another stat, uh, they also said that when they do find fake items, Amazon seizes and disposes of them in order to keep them off the market. So, you know, to me, that shows obviously impressive improvement by the numbers, but you still end up with a really big scale problem. Sure. And it is a big problem. Did the report say what sort of counterfeit goods are still being sold? Uh, well, Amazon in its own report did not specify that. Of course, they sell um, nearly anything there is to be sold. But I did some more reporting and found a couple um, similar reports, actually, that came out in, in, in the same time span. One was from the American Apparel and Footwear Association. It's a clothing trade group. Uh, they had released, recently released a statement. They were applauding action by the federal government, uh, which was a report from the Office of the United States Trade Representative uh, that's called the Notorious Markets Report. And that report looks into retail platforms around the world that are known to sell counterfeit goods. Uh, so the apparel and footwear folks uh, were applauding the federal action to back, back up these efforts. A second example I found was from an, another trade association that's called the Power Tool Institute. Obviously, they represent power tool industry, makers, manufacturers, vendors. But they were warning this week that supply chain pressures have spurred an influx of counterfeit batteries. So what the group said was that what they call suspiciously lower priced power tool batteries are probably too good to be true and are more often uh, than not revealed to be knockoffs or counterfeits or unauthorized replacements. And we're seeing more of those lately because the scammers are leveraging vulnerabilities in the global supply chain uh, at the same time that the public still needs those new batteries. So uh, that, that, that's, there's some interesting and very large scale trends at work here um, and, and some real efforts to try to fight back against it. Right, and getting a fake product is bad enough, but some of the products like lithium batteries can be even dangerous to use if they're not manufactured properly. So buyer beware, hopefully we can all be a little more diligent when we order things online. Uh, absolutely, yep, good points. Thanks, Ben. 
We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Paul Brashear of ITS Logistics for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You could email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane, co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their continuous focus on safety, Heister is powering your possibilities. For more information, visit heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.